Welcome everyone to our Ananda Sunday service. My name is Nayaswami Pranava, and this is Nayaswami Parvati. And a special warm welcome to all our guests at the Expanding Life and at the Meditation Retreat, all those that are visitors here, and for all those that are attending online. This reading is taken from Rays of the One Light, written by Swami Kriyananda, while parallel passages from the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita. Today's focus is, what is the best way to pray? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ and Krishna both advise praying to God as personal, yet both emphasize also that God is above form and that he must be sought ultimately in infinity. As Jesus put it, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Yet he spoke of God constantly as our Heavenly Father. In what is known as the Lord's Prayer, he proposed a very human prayer to the Heavenly Father, asking fulfillment for all our spiritual needs. The Bhagavad Gita explains that man, living as he does in a human body, finds it difficult to worship infinity as though the ego and body didn't even exist. Far better for human beings, Krishna says, to work with reality as we know it than to affirm a reality of which the human mind is incapable of forming any clear notion. Encouraging the devotee in this direction, he says, O Arjuna, be thou a yogi, that is to say, be one who works with, not in rejection of, the energies of the body and the natural tendencies of the mind. In the twelfth chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks, Those who ever steadfast worship thee as devotees, that is to say, in an I and thou relationship, and those who contemplate thee as the immortal, unmanifest spirit, which group is the better, versed in yoga? The blessed Lord replied, Those who, fixing their minds on me, adore me, ever united to me through a supreme devotion, are in my eyes the perfect knowers of yoga. Those whose strict aim is union with the unmanifest choose a more difficult way, arduous for embodied beings, is the path of dedication to the absolute, the followers, that is to say, of the path of jnana yoga. (coughs) Thus through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. I'd also like to welcome everyone and start by reading from Yogananda's Whispers from Eternity. Demand for the opening of spiritual temple doors everywhere. O Father, when I was blind, I found not a door which led to Thee. But now that Thou hast opened my eyes, I find doors everywhere, through the hearts of flowers, through the voice of friendship, through sweet memories of all lovely experiences. Every gust of my prayer opens a new door in the vast temple of thy presence. So.
so the topic today really ranges quite broadly. I wanted to start by telling a story from the autobiography of a yogi. Uh, it's a wonderful book, as we all know, but it's so powerful. And this is from the chapter where um, Yogananda meets the saint with two bodies, Swami, Swami Pranabhanandaji. And uh, he's only 12 years old when he meets him, by the way. And he's going on a little outing to Benares from Bareilly. His father gives him a ticket to go there and uh, has some errand for him to do with the Swami. But he goes there and approaches the house, goes up into the room where Pranabhanandaji is. And as soon as he goes in, he sees this man virtually naked with a little loincloth on and meditating. And uh, uh, he's not quite sure what to do. And Pranavananda welcomes him and, and calls him Choto Mahashai, which means literally little large-minded one. He says little sir in the autobiography, but Pranavananda sees who he is right away. And... Uh, he welcomes him, and, and he, Yogananda's about to, Mukunda's about to say why he's there, and the Swami says, oh, I can help you find uh, so-and-so, the man he's looking for. And so twice now he knows, one, who he is, and two, who, why he's there, how he's looking, for, without ever Yogananda ever saying, it, saying anything. And so... Um, Yogananda's a little surprised at this because this is just a, a swami. Nobody, anybody knows anything special about. And so um, uh, he said, just uh, uh, he'll, this man, he'll be with you shortly. Um, I'll arrange for that. And then he goes into meditation and samadhi. And so he's gone and Yogananda's sitting before him looking at his sandals and just thinking, okay. Now what? <laughs> anyway, but he meditates for a while. And then he comes out of that and says to Yogananda, uh, he'll be here very shortly. In fact, he's approaching right now, this man. And Yogananda's like, huh? What happened here? You haven't left. We haven't talked. And this man is coming. And this is early 1900s, I think it must have been around 1905. Yogananda runs down the stairs and meets this man. And the man is coming up and, he, and Yogananda says, how did you come here? And basically kind of insults him about why are you here and how did you even know? And the man says, wait a minute. The Swami Pranabhananda who lives here came to me. I was at uh, the river. I had just come out from the bathing god, and uh, he appeared. He said, I don't know how he found me, but he appeared and, and said, um, I want you to come to my house. Uh, Yogananda Bhagavati's son is waiting there to talk to you. And, uh, and he said, and we walked hand in hand for a while. And then the Swami turned to me and he said, I'll see you there. I have some other things to do, and I'll just go on ahead. He said even with his little wooden sandals, which only have a thing for the toe, he was gone. He just uh, uh, disappeared in the crowd. And so the man said, I walked as quickly as I could to get here, and here I am. And he said, I don't know why I'm here. He didn't tell me. And, And Yogananda said, that's not possible. I was upstairs for the whole time 
And that Swami never left his seat and his sandals were there the whole time. And the man is, they're both dumbfounded. And so they go upstairs and, and then uh, talk to the, to the Swami a bit. But neither of them really understood. And this man that he met in Varanasi, Banaras, uh, that Yogananda met, he had seen Pranabhananda before, but he said, I just thought he was just an ordinary man. You know, Swami, yes, but I had no idea he could manifest two bodies. And so they connect, and anyway, it's a nice uh, little connection there. But Yogananda, after the man leaves, Yogananda, uh, Pranabhananda says to him, and I'll be seeing you in the future with your father in Calcutta. And so Yogananda, again, age 12, you know, it's like, okay, all this happened. This is pretty amazing. And then it refers back to where, in later on in the autobiography, where they meet again. And Pranabhananda, if you will remember, or maybe you don't know, is only one of two fully liberated masters that Yogananda writes about in the autobiography other than our line of avatars, our line of gurus. And so he was fully liberated. And Yogananda, when he starts his school, and this must have been probably eight years later, something like that, Yogananda invites him to come during the first year of his school. I don't know if it was in Ranchi or the other place, but at any rate, Pranabhananda comes, and it's very sweet. And he loves seeing what Yogananda's doing with the children and yogic values and lifestyle, all of that teaching. And then, again, they, they do meet, as Pranabhananda predicted, in Calcutta, yet once more, a few months later. And his father, Yogananda's father, is there. And when they meet, Yogananda said, I could see that his body had really aged. And he said, I looked him right in the eye and I said, so, are you still enjoying the uh, two pensions? In other words, challenging him to say, are you still, are you weighed down by the body? And he asks, actually, are you not weighed down by the body? It's getting older and it can be a heavy weight. And Pranavananda just says, he said in a childlike voice, he said, I am ever now more than ever with my cosmic beloved. And just dismisses it completely. But uh, anyway, the reason that I tell that is he referred to, and this is again, fully liberated master, he referred to his connection as with his cosmic beloved. And You know, that's the path that we're all on right now, is to that kind of realization of cosmic, you know, you think, you know, the absolute, unknown, spirit beyond creation, beloved. And so Pranabhananda just made that his path and had that kind of realization. And I thought that this is something that although he was fully liberated, we also will be fully liberated at some point. And so it's important for us to start along that path to the cosmic beloved. 
And it's something that, you know, in yoga, as Krishna says in the reading today, you really have to start from the reality where you're at. We do have bodies, we do have minds, we do have personalities. And probably most of us in this room are pretty aware that that's a reality for us. We, ha- we may have yet another reality, higher reality, but still we have to deal with what we have before us, in other words. And yoga always says you have to start from where you're at. You can't just jump ahead. And you know, I think in the West, the biggest problem with people coming on the spiritual path and really understanding what it's all about is they think by defining it, they've realized it. You know, no problem. But you can't just say cosmic beloved without having the direct experience of that cosmic beloved. And so we want to move along that path. And so what I've found, and when I came to Ananda, what I deeply appreciated was Swami Kriyananda, who would just include Divine Mother in everything that he did and refer to that reality and say, um, oh, I, I just did this, and Divine Mother then provided me with a donation, that very, uh, you know, a gift where he had to spend money, and then he got a gift and used as Divine Mother wants you to. And so those kinds of things, and also one of the, of the things that he shared with all of us that I really deeply appreciated was that when he had finished writing the Raja Yoga course, 14 Steps to Self-Realization, or whatever we want to call it, um, that he took a little vacation, and he took it with Divine Mother. And he went to Carmel, and just had this wonderful time, uh, you know, felt that Divine Mother was with him, she provided everything for him. And I thought, you know, these are the practical steps along naturally with meditation every single day, twice a day, Kriya Yoga, all of that, absolutely. But these are the kinds of steps that we take, whether it's through writing and celebration, whether it's through how we serve, whether it's through action, whatever it is that we have to take those steps right along with Divine Mother that we have to include that reality always. And I'm saying we have to. It's the way it works. And so we want to be sure to really just start implementing everything that we've been given that will allow us to eventually come to that place which looks like, wow, it's just so simple little Swami Pranabhanandaji, fully liberated, um, had cosmic consciousness. But how he stated it, he was with his cosmic beloved. And so there's that, that inclusion of divine love in that reality. And so others may go by more austere ways, but really this path is one that leads us from the heart and from our own direct experience again to that goal. And in one place, Swami Kriyananda said, he said, even jnana, for the goal of jnana yoga, which some people think they know what jnana yoga is but don't really, he said, 
it's still demolishing the ego. You have to, no matter what way you go by, expand your awareness, expand your consciousness, and be free of the ego. And so, but love, which binds everything together and is the connective tissue throughout everything, is what gets us there quickest. Because we're able to use the tools of yoga along the way. All the meditation techniques, all the understanding of right attitude and how to deal with things, it's all there in the science of yoga. And it's the art of yoga, is taking whatever you can from that and using it to become free. So it's also important, too, thinking of the West, to know that this path of yoga, it's complete. Of course there's spirit beyond creation. Spirit manifested, sat, manifested as a reflection in creation, taught, the, the presence and divine stillness at the heart of every atom, Christ consciousness, and then eventually Om, which is Divine Mother Spirit as creation. Not only reflected in creation, but as creation. So our path, the path of yoga and the teachings of India, present a complete, full picture. And there is no uh, need to... Uh, try to understand in other ways, but what about, what about? It's all there. Any any uh, question you could have can be answered within that uh, whole context. The other part of this is, it does say what is the best way to pray in the title, although it's about how to approach God, personal or impersonal, with form or without. And the answer to that is both. Yogananda gave that answer to uh, his disciple Kamala Silva when she asked him that question in the 1920s. And he said, it's both. He said, spirit beyond creation, frozen by my devotion, comes into form. But we always understand that that form is also formless. So it's, and Swami Kriyananda said, he said, you know, when I first went to India, that drove me crazy, that it could be both, you know, it wasn't either or, which is a very Western way of thinking, but it was both and. So spirit is both formless and with form, and with form and without. And so, but we have to understand that as we worship, as we approach God, as we want to love God, that whatever our understanding right now, it will be bigger and bigger and bigger. And Yogananda said, he said, when I was with Sri Yukteswar, I could feel him expanding my awareness of the concept of divine love. I'm not stating it, quoting it, but it was like that. He, he could feel Sri Yukteswar just expanding his understanding. The other story, which is a a very unique story, Rama is raised from the dead. And it's unique in that it combines a number of elements that are going on in this story. Rama was a very, very close friend 
of Sri Yukteswar's before he was a Swami. And they were both disciples of Lahiri Mahasaya and they would go to visit him in Benares. And Rama was a recluse. He only went to see Lahiri between midnight and about 4 a.m. He didn't want to see other people and he'd just go when it was very quiet. Sri Yukteswar says that at one point Rama faced a severe test in that he got Asiatic cholera, which at the time, again, we're talking probably late 1800s, um, that uh, it was death. You just died. There was no cure for it. And uh, it's what Yogananda's mother had died from previously. But at any rate, Rama contracted this, and right away, uh, Sri Yukteswar goes to Lahiri, and he says, my good friend Rama has Asiatic cholera, you know, can you help him? And and Lahiri says, well, the doctors, he said, well, the doctors are there, He he will be well. And then that's it. And so Sri Yukteswar is going back and forth, so he goes back to Rama. Rama is looking really not good. And Lahiri, by the way, in saying this, is all smiles and lightness and, you know, just like, hey, what's the problem? No big deal. He'll be well. Sri Yukteswar goes back to Rama. He's, he's not well at all. The doctors are there, but it's not a good situation. And so he rushes back to Lahiri Mahasaya and he tells him this. And Lahiri Mahasaya said, the doctors know what they're doing. I'm sure Rama will be well. That's it. And so Sri Yukteswar is believing in his guru, but... And so he goes back to Rama to find that the doctors have left. They've left a note saying, uh, sorry, we've done all we can, and, and Rama is dying. And he dies, in fact, while Sri Yukteswar is there. And it's like, he's like stunned. You know, what happened? My guru said he will be well. Said it twice. And, uh, and so he, he meditates there for an hour, just really distraught. Uh, it's a very emotional scene for Sri Yukteswar. And so um, after that, he goes to Lahiri, and Lahiri right away, very brightly, joyfully says, so how's Rama doing? And Sri Yukteswar said, well, you'll see really soon how he's doing when they carry his body by on the way to the crematorium, and uh, you can bless him. But he died, and uh, he died around noon. And then Sri Yukteswar just breaks down, and he's sobbing. And Lahiri just looks at him and he said, Yukteswar, compose yourself. Let's meditate. And so this is a little afternoon. They meditate all evening and into the following dawn. And at that point, Lahiri says, so tell me again what's happened. And Yukteswar says, well, he died. And... uh, Lahiri says, well, see that lamp over there, oil lamp? He said, it has castor oil in it. Pour out a little bit and take it to Rama and put seven drops in his mouth. And Shukteshwar is just astounded. I mean, Shukteshwar was a scientist, you know. He was a very rational man as well as being an avatar. But uh, they play out this drama together. And so he said, there's no point. He died yesterday at noon. He's dead. And Larry said, just do as I say, very calmly. 
And so he goes, he fills a little bottle, he takes it back. He said, I come back to Rama, a friend had been guarding the body. I come back and he looked ghastly. He was rigid, he was dead. And so he said, even so, because my guru told me to, I opened his mouth, pried his lips open, and with the aid of the cork, put seven drops on his teeth that were clenched. And he said, at the seventh drop, his whole body shook, just shook. And he instantly came back. And he sat up, and he said, Lahiri Mahashai just appeared to me in a a blaze of light. And he said, come and and, uh, come to my house. And so he said, I have to get up. I mean, this man that was dead for not quite 24 hours, but a long time. And so uh, Sri Yukteswar, again, is very puzzled by what's gone on here. And again, through the whole thing, Lahiri, very lighthearted, jovial, joking, you know, just no big thing. And so he's astounded because Rama actually gets up, dresses himself, and they he's able to walk clear to Lahiri Mahashai's house. So they go there. And Lahiri Mahashai says, oh, so good to see you both. And, and he jo- he's joking with Sri Yukteswar. He says, and by the way, Yukteswar, now you'll know, always carry a little bottle of castor oil. And whenever you, whenever you see a corpse, you can put some drops on it. And Sri Yukteswar just says, I know you're mocking me, but what happened there? What, what happened? And he said, Lahiri says, he says twice, I told you, Rama will be well. Twice. And you doubted. And he said, so, he had to die and I brought him back to life. I mean, he doesn't say all of that, but he said, and you didn't believe it. And Sri Yukteswar says, I see. I now understand that your word is binding on the entire universe. And I tell that story because, one, it's unusual, dramatic, and really shows the power of the guru. But also, too, what is the best way to pray? As Jesus said, believing. If we don't believe in what we're praying for, it can't happen. How can it happen? How can God work through us or work through that person you're praying for or whatever? And it's something that we build to. Do we have that belief right now completely? Do we have that faith? No, we have to build up our momentum. But as if we never try, it will never happen. So we have to keep going. And also to realize that, at least this is my take on this partially, is that it's delusion's job to make it look like it's not going to work. This is not going to... I know he's... You know, Larry Mashai said that, but this is not going to work. And it puts doubt in there, and that blocks what the light can do, what the divine can do through us, for other people, all of that. And so it's just something to keep in mind because we do have that power Sri Yukteswar, we will be like him. Lahiri, we will be like him, eventually. But not unless we start trying that, testing that out, working our way toward that. 
And I want to just also say that, you know, Swami Pranabhananda, I think, yeah, it was Swami Pranabhananda, after Yogananda saw him in Calcutta, he was taking a group of his, he was leaving Banaras and Calcutta completely. They were going to Rishikesh with a small group of disciples. He got them settled there. They were there for a little bit. And then he left his body. You know how he left his body? I kicked the frame by the second Kriya Yoga. Well, guess what? That technique is available to every one of us. So someone who had the highest realization, we have a technique that he used. I mean, isn't that fabulous? (laughs) In our age, we may not be using it right now, we may not have it yet, but we've been given every single thing we need to make this work and to make it our reality and a large portion of it in this lifetime. This is a very, very powerful path that we're on. And when you read these stories, go and read them, you know, these ones that I've told, because they are so powerful in the autobiography, the power that's behind them of the divine. It's really, you just realize it's happening and it will be my reality. And the one last thing I wanted to mention is that, you know, we live right now in more and more tumultuous times. We were just in Hawaii recently and everything in the planet, Hawaii is a beautiful little paradise. It's like Divine Mother's little healing uh, area, just wonderful, very uh, beautiful. Um, But everywhere on this planet is being affected by climate change, by the incredibly negative vibrations that are being put out by numbers of people all over the planet. And there's a lot of light coming up as well. But keep in mind that in this time, and I've thought about this, you know, especially California being in a four-year drought and should we pray for rain and all that. You know, I think we should pray as we feel inspired to, but it might also be helpful, and I feel to do this, to include Divine Mother in those prayers because we're in a time of tremendous change and we don't know where we're going. Even us who are aware that this change is happening from Kali Yuga to Dwapara Yuga, an age of materialism to an age of energy, what will it look like? I mean, we have a little momentum going in that direction, quite a little actually, but what I've just felt like Divine Mother... We really do need water, but your will be done. What do you have in mind here that is part of the larger picture that's going to make this transition of consciousness mainly possible in our lifetime probably? So, But it's a huge upheaval. And the more that we can stay focused in the light, in, in attunement with Divine Mother and our Masters, then we can offer light and hope to people everywhere who are really going to be and are in chaos. So, um, because change is not easy, and these are huge changes. They said in Hawaii that the coral bleaching that's happening is worldwide, 
and it's very heavily seen in off of Maui. And if the seas rise in the particular area that we stayed, 10,000 homes will be uh, affected by that. So no matter if you live in paradise or wherever, it, it will happen. And, uh, but we have an incredible opportunity by our deepening attunement with that divine to really act as channels for that light in this time. It's a wonderful thing and we can really be a great blessing in this time to many, many people.